Welcome back to another episode of Disciplology, a podcast where we talk about all things discipleship. Today, we're going to dive deep into mental health, and we have Evan here that's going to talk to us a little bit about um, how we can process some of these new emotions. 2020 for us was was a doozy of a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, COVID came in and people lost jobs and we didn't know if we had security in our jobs and we just, a lot of stuff happened. Mm-hmm. How are we to cope with all of these feelings that we have? Is cope even the right word? Are we supposed right. to fix this? You know, right. is it, um, where, where should we start? Yeah, most of us are really, really bad at defining or articulating the emotion we're feeling, right? We we almost expect to like hunt and peck for the answer. We're like, oh, how are you feeling? Like, uh, I'm kind of like, I guess sad or I'm like kind of mad. Like, and it, we almost hope that the person based on our mannerisms will understand and fill the void between the word we're saying and what we're actually feeling. So I think the first thing I would give advice to anyone, when you're feeling something, really ask yourself like, What's the feeling behind the feeling? It's mm-hmm. so like I might be presenting anger, but really I'm hurt or really I'm offended or really I felt rejected or really I felt fill in the blank. And so I find a lot of times that there's, you can go online and you can Google like feeling words, right? I know this sounds crazy, but they all have like little PDFs you can print out of feelings. And I have a something- feelings wheel. That is amazing. Yeah. Like, yes, that would yeah. be amazing. Do you get to like spin it to see how you're going to feel each day? You know? How do I want to feel today? Yes. Is that like a mood ring? Because <laughs> yeah. I've got one of those. But hopefully it's only happy emotions. Like, oh man, regret. Oh, shoot. I didn't want to feel that all day. But the point is, is I think as we do this, it really helps first to start articulating what am I really feeling? Because if I can't articulate it to myself, how can I expect to process it if I don't even understand what I'm processing? So that's the first place I would start um, is really looking looking at that. So if, if we're now to have our feelings in check, what are we supposed to do when we have these feelings that are anxious right. or depressive or, or anything? Right. And I think actually I find that some Christian people struggle more with talking about negative emotions. I think yeah. there's two reasons for that. One is I think we read a lot of scripture that maybe we misinterpret as sort of um, mm-hmm. that there's this idea that there's good emotions and bad emotions. And bad emotions are a lack of faith, right? That if I'm showing anxiety, if I'm showing some negative thing, that's because I'm not I'm not walking with Jesus closely enough. It's also because there's an entire kind of name it and claim it theology out there that, you know, if you speak anything negative, bad things are going to happen to you, sort of this mystical idea. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that we have to realize first is there are no good or bad emotions because all emotions are good because they were all created by God. And if you look at the character of Jesus, he displayed and actually experienced all of those emotions. So I think that's the first thing is to remove the shame or the false guilt or whatever it may be with those emotions. The second piece, though, is to realize that while emotions can't be controlled because emotions happen with or without our involvement, they can be managed. Mm. And I think that a lot of people think, well, I'm just not controlling my sadness. I'm not controlling my grief, whatever it may be. And, it, and I always find that to be puzzling because it's like, well, of course you can't control it. This is a God-given process that was designed to help you cope and process with life. So in order to do it, you now need to ask yourself, okay, not, I don't want to stop from feeling it, but now I want to say, what's my response? That's where the management comes in. And I think if we start saying, I'm feeling this particular emotion, that's a good emotion because it was given to me by God to help me through something, then say, what is it helping me through? And management, how am I going to exercise this emotion to help work that God-given process. It's almost like, you know, negative negativity says like, oh, these gears will never run again. This is an old car. But n- sad emotions are almost like the grease that goes on the wheels that begin the car to be able to start moving again. And so without those sad emotions, the engine can't run, you know? And so that's something that I experience a lot in talking to people. So coming out of this, 
you know, and you and I have talked on other podcasts a lot about how there are, there, there's, there's broken people. There's obviously addictions that are just roaring out of control. Um, we've seen suicide rates up. Mm. We've seen alcoholism. We've seen divorces. We've seen all of this. So what would you say to uh, someone who is wanting to help someone who's kind of coming through this? They're, we're regathering. We're getting back together in small groups. We're getting back into churches. And I don't think it's something we can ignore. Right. Really? I there, There's going to be a lot of people that are broken. So what do we do? Yeah. So it's interesting. Like the old adage, time heals all wounds. Yeah is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Like that's the opposite. With with time, wounds just get infected and get worse and spread, right? So the right. first thing we have to realize is like time is not necessarily our friends. Just because we're getting back together again, we can't be like, well, you know, eventually 2020, like time helps, but it doesn't heal is what I always tell people. Mm. And so unless intentional actions are taken, like intentional community, it won't be. And so you just said it, authentic, loving, trusting relationships are always the backbone of resilience. In other words, we're strong when we surround ourselves with strong people. That's the way that strength works. And so I would say that the first thing would be is if you want to help somebody, first offer them safety, which means offer them a place where you will listen non-judgmentally. You're going to lead with grace. You're going to use pinches of truth, but you know, spoonfuls of grace in the conversation. Um, make sure that they know that within the group, it's an okay place to express their experience, experiencing negative emotions. Um, if someone starts to shame them for feeling those negative emotions, stand by their side and be like, wait a minute, hold on, Mr. You know, preacher man over there. Like, that's not right, you know, and, and align with them in that way I've found to be really helpful. But then secondly, also help them start reframing that year. Um, sorry, this is a long answer, but for a lot of people, COVID will be, and I've said this and I get some weird looks when I, when I speak, COVID will be a wasted, painful experience. Mm. Meaning it will be something they lived with, lived through, end of story. Mm-hmm. There will be no fruit from it. There will right. be no character development, no perseverance, no, you know, it will just be suffering and trauma for suffering and trauma's sake. But that's not the way that God works. The way that God works is he recycles the pain we go through and gives it purpose only if we let that process happen. So I would say mm-hmm. the minute that they feel safe, begin saying, okay, what can we learn from this painful experience? How is this process going to change us? How is it going to make us a better version of ourselves? How can we recycle something that seemed like waste into something that's a usable material in our life and in our, in our faith walk? That is leadership, and that's where you can help people really start seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. And a lot of times we just want to jump into the mess and be like, I'm really sorry you're going through that. Yeah. But as a Christian, we can come alongside and say, God never wastes that. And you know, and I want to help you discover what is it that, that's developing in you because of this. Mm. And I'll tell you, that's an attractive message to both Christians and non-Christians alike because we want our pain to mean something. Yeah. Feels like the goal most of the time is we want the symptoms to go away, right? That's right. As quick as possible. And we possible. do. <laughs> right. I, I mean, know I do. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've obviously gone through some anxiety and depression in my life. Yeah. And man, in the middle of it, I just want it to stop. Yes. I just want whatever I need to do to make this just stop happening. But then on the other side of it, it feels like I, I'm actually thankful. Mm, that wow. I, I went through that valley, but you're not going to see it till <laughs> right till you're out of it's it. Definitely not pleasant. Yeah, it's definitely not pleasant. You don't want to like volunteer to be like, you know, I'd like to start struggling with anxiety next year. <laughs> exactly. So that sounds good. <laughs> but it, but are we missing it? Um, I'm thinking specifically the church mm-hmm. that um, we're missing the opportunity to walk alongside people when they're going through this because I know we do a lot of outsourcing. We say, okay, well, we can't handle that. Right. Or, you know, at the individual group level that we can't, we're not 
We're not trained. Right. Right. So, you know, how do we get past that mentality? Yeah, I literally was in a conversation with a very large church this morning. And I I can predict what their objections to what I'm saying are going to be before they even say them, because all the conversations are the same. The number one thing they're usually concerned about is liability. Well, what happens if we say something and someone ends up getting hurt? And I always say, what happens if you don't say something and somebody ends up getting hurt? Which is far more likely than you saying something, by the way. Um, And so think that it's it's kind of interesting you know i believe that the church's response to this issue of mental health and trauma represents the greatest evangelical opportunity in maybe the last hundred years for our country as a christian population i truly believe that. that's great yeah and yet it's interesting to me that our strategy has been basically to say we can't speak into this and i think part of it is because everything has been labeled as a, purely a mental health issue mm-hmm. therefore i have to become a mental health expert but what what role does soul healing play if we're made up of of a mind and some people would you know specify and say like soul spirit and body if you want to be theologically accurate which i suppose this podcast will want to be but you could also just say you could also just say so i want to get that out for all those seminary people (laughs) i know that's right but for the rest of us mind body and soul all of us you know just downright anti-bible teachers right mind body and soul i think that we look and we say does trauma and and mental health, does it, do, do those experiences try, do they wound the body? Yes. Do they wound the mind? Yes. Well, then the question should be, can they wound the soul? And what, what role does a Christian play? What role does faith play in soul, soul healing? And I think a big part of that is authentic community. A big part of it's helping them realize there's purpose in their pain. A big part of that is them recognizing that God loves them and that, that, um, he didn't cause their trauma. He's not some mean guy up there just punishing them. You know, I think those are conversations that trauma always will catalyze a conversation about existential things like faith mm. always. Mm. And, um, a lot of people want to know why did COVID happen? And we're looking for answers. What a chance. I mean, what an opportunity. Right. Um, and this idea of I'm not qualified, you know, I love our counselors, but quite simply, and they will all agree with me. There aren't enough of them. So what's the option? I mean, there are tons of people who can't afford counseling or who don't have access to a counselor or whose counselor is already booked and they can't get in to see him for seven months. Mm-hmm. So is the solution better to say like, well, I'm just not qualified, so good luck over the next seven months? Right. No, right. that's obviously not a better solution. Yeah. So I don't struggle a whole lot with anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, but I I dive into depression from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've heard, you know, it's the two sides of the same coin, right? And so uh, one looks to the future and one looks backwards and my wife suffers from anxiety, but she doesn't really understand depression. And so then it's, you know, we're, we're on opposite pages. And she has said several times, I wish you could just experience anxiety for a day. Mm. And I, I, I don't want to do that. Um, and I've had some things that have brought me to be nervous, you know? And so um, I'm like, is that what you feel all the time? And she's like, no, you were just nervous. Yeah. Like, is there any descriptor that you can give us to explain to me how anxiety feels or how depression feels? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I wouldn't presume to speak for every experience of those, those situations. I would say that first thought though, is I think that what your wife's drawing attention to is actually really important because there is something with language that's become a bit of a problem, especially, sorry, millennials out there, but especially Mm -hmm. for millennials in that we have begun only using clinical language to describe our emotions. So we're using language like depression when really we're feeling sadness. We're using language like anxiety when we're feeling worried, which sounds not like a big deal. Sounds like hyperbolic perhaps. Right. What's the big problem? 
there is a problem in that these are diagnosed mental health disorders. And so, one, not only is it borderline offensive to the people who actually have and struggle with true right. disorders, but number two is, is also what begins to happen is I begin to say, instead of this emotion that I'm feeling, I don't know, I'm not answering your question, but <laughs> instead of saying this emotion that I'm feeling is part of the natural God-given emotions he gave me to process, we start saying, no, 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 this emotion I'm feeling is a problem that needs to be fixed. It is a disorder that I need to be medicated or right. therapeutic interventioned for. And so one of the things I always want to challenge people initially when they start, because everybody comes to me with, I have anxiety, I have depression, I have, you know, whatever. And first I want to stop and say, is that really what you have? Do you have a disorder in that traditional sense? Do you have something that does actually, that is physiologically going on or spiritually or psychologically going on that needs specific intervention? Or is it something like worry or fear or whatever? And, And beginning to say, if it's that, well then let's process that. But those are different paths of healing. One takes maybe a more clinical intervention. The other really talks about you need to have friends in your corner who you can talk to and love and share and you need to express and you need to pray and you need different different answers, right? And, and so um, there's a lot of people who they're over on this side, but they're doing the clinical interventions and they're wondering why they still have these things and vice versa. In terms of the definition of anxiety, I've read tons of books on anxiety and depression. There isn't a universal description that I would say what I usually have found is anxiety usually feels like the sense of pending doom that something's going to happen, even when we logically know probably it's not, but it's this sense of something terrible is going to happen mm-hmm. to me or to someone else in mm-hmm. my life. And I think this sense is um, exacerbated when we actually see terrible things happening, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like COVID when we're like, so wait a minute, there's an invisible virus that I can yeah. catch that could kill me. Yeah, I told you so. That I could catch I, I knew this was coming. at yeah. Home yeah. Depot. Yeah. Like, Welcome to my brain. <laughs> right, right, right. And like you're sitting in your car thinking like, do I really need that sheet of plywood? You know, and one, can I afford that sheet of plywood? You know, but right, exactly. if you sold oh some gas right now, you could buy the plywood. Um, <laughs> but but um, I don't know if this is a timeless podcast. I don't know if this is, it is. by the it's, time this comes timely. out, that'll yeah. be old, old hat. Um, and then with depression, I would say, depression is quite literally just a prolonged sadness without a identified single source. Yeah. Right. And so, um, for me, I describe it as putting on a pair of shaded sunglasses. You've experienced the world lit up. You put on dark tinted sunglasses and no matter what you do, you can't seem to take them off. Everything just seems gloomy and despairing. And I think in my experience, that's what it's felt like, you know, even in my personal walk. So our conversation with Evan was so good that we decided to split this episode into two parts again. So this is the end of part one and next week we'll finish it up with part two.